Some things shouldn't be transparent, like stop signs. But what you pay for should always be clear, like Hiller's true transparency pricing, always clearly itemized and never any hidden fees. Because you have the right to know what you're paying for. For more information, visit happyhiller.com slash true transparency pricing. Happy you'll be of the services free. Call the Happy Face Truck today. Number to reach me through Ryan Mudd, my gatekeeper, is 615-737-1045. That's 737-1045. I lead off every night the same way. I am blessed beyond measure. Sometimes you recognize it. Sometimes, hopefully you always recognize it. Sometimes you recognize it in just extreme ways. And certainly I feel that way today. Just so much undeserved and unmerited favor that has come my way through the grace of my Lord and Savior. I hope you recognize how blessed you are in your life as well. And if that's a conversation you've never had before or something that you haven't really given much thought to, whether it's me at Jmart Zone where my DMs are always wide open or someone else in your life that you trust, I hope that that's a conversation that you will engage in. And again, I hope that you and yours are doing exceptionally well. I had a wonderful time over the past five days on the West Coast in California there for a wedding, uh, just just some outstanding stuff there. But now we get back to business. And so the Warriors stole one last night in Toronto. I want you to stick around. I'm going to go ahead and tell you this. Coming up in the next segment, I'm going to play some audio that I bet you have not heard that will I try on this show as often as I can to give you things that I think you can extrapolate into your own lives. And I think that that's what I'm going to give you tonight. And it's going to be on a subject that I rail about on a pretty regular basis. But I believe it will be the smartest 70 seconds of your entire week if you listen to this. And then I'll be able to kind of talk about it. Maybe maybe you'll even have thoughts. You can tweet me at jmartzone. You can call Ryan Mudd to get on the program at 615-737-1045. The Warriors stole one last night, and now the series is tied 1-1. Game three on Wednesday night. And what I thought about, and this actually, you know, I'm sitting in California for game one, and... The Raptors win the game. They win it by nine. And now it's all oh, without Kevin Durant. Golden State can't win. Folks, blip or trend needs to return in analysis of all kinds in our lives. But certainly in sports, it applies. Everybody, me included, is quick to jump on a bandwagon, jump off a bandwagon, or draw just sweeping conclusions from virtually any Temporary outcome, non-permanent outcome. The Raptors look good in game one, and now it's, like I said, Golden State can't beat Toronto without Kevin Durant. Last night, Golden State lost Clay Thompson, still had a less than 100% Andre Iguodala, still no Kevin Durant. They did get contributions, solid ones from Boogie Cousins, and they were able to win that game in the end thanks to an Iguodala three that was sort of the dagger late. Ladies and gentlemen, I would propose to you this. And this is something that I am trying to apply in my life and am am slowly learning. And that is, if you want to be smart, take a look at what just occurred, what just happened that had no business happening or that isn't likely to happen again, and whether that was the thing that caused the outcome that you just saw. So on Thursday night, Pascal Siakam went off. This guy's story is remarkable, by the way, just a sideline, not even picking up a basketball until I believe he was 16 years old growing up in Cameroon. 
He's an all-star level player. He's still really young. He's still really raw, but he's showing a lot of signs. But he went 14 of 17 from the floor in game one and was virtually unstoppable. Draymond Green, after the game for Golden State, gave him all the props in the world and then said, you know what, hey, this one is on me. It is my job to stop that guy, and I was unable to do it. He's really, really good. But keep in mind, Golden State lost game one by nine points. They came back in that game, and even on the road, they were still in it throughout from start to finish. And also keep in mind that Pascal Siakam, throughout much of this postseason, has been, I would say, inconsistent at best. In fact, it's probably more accurate to say he's been a no-show in key spots where Kawhi Leonard has had to bail Toronto out on these situations that were probable losses and somehow miraculously turned them into narrow victories. Remember Game 7 against Philadelphia? That's a prime example of Siakam no-showing. Didn't even want the ball in his hands. Was afraid, along with the other Raptor teammates, not named Kawhi Leonard, out there on the floor in that game. And Kawhi was able to bring it home. But that was by no means the only example where Pascal has sort of disappeared. 14 of 17 is impressive. Super impressive. It's incredibly efficient. That dude did it all on Thursday. But again, I say, when you are evaluating for predictive purposes... What was it that was more likely to happen last night? Pascal Siakam duplicates 14 of 17? Or Pascal Siakam regresses to the mean and plays decently, but not really at an all-star level in back-to-back games? The answer is obvious. So that's what we got last night. We got 5 of 18 from the floor. He still made some plays, but by no means was he some kind of gigantic impact contributor for the Toronto Raptors in the loss to the Warriors. So what we all need to do is stop making these broad generalizations and broad proclamations based on reading one chapter of a book. And I've said this before, but you have to view a playoff series as one book in a series of books. What you believe to be true based on the first 100 pages when you read a Game of Thrones or Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, whatever it is, what you believed at that point, it was going to turn out to be completely wrong because you were operating on limited information. One thing I said when I was blessed to be in with the wake-up zone last week before I left for California was that the Tennessee Titans, and I've said it on this show as well, the Tennessee Titans are likely to have to make a major decision, as big a decision as the franchise has had to make in several years, maybe even more than several years, on limited information. We're not going to know after this year whether Marcus Mariota is the guy 100%. We're not. They're going to have to either pay him or let him walk based on limited information. And that's the worst thing. That's the worst place you can be because you want everything to be assured. But that's not what we get. That's not how life generally works. Back to my book argument. How many predicted how Game of Thrones was going to end on HBO? How many were accurate dating back to season one about that outcome? I've got a hard time believing even 10% of the viewers, screw that, 5% of the viewers were remotely close on 50% of the characters that would even be alive by the fifth season, much less the eighth, much less how the series was going to end. And like I said, I'm guilty of this as well. I'm also somebody that's willing, as I hope you guys are, to evolve as the story evolves. I picked the Milwaukee Bucks to beat the Toronto Raptors in the Eastern Conference Finals. Once it got to 2-2, I knew in my heart I was wrong. I should have stuck by my gut, which told me the one guy I could trust was Kawhi. If you listen to the show, that's what I even said. 
I said that Kawhi is the one guy in the series that you can trust, and then I still picked against him. But my argument was that it was Kawhi because he'd been there before. The reason that we can gamble on sports, the reason millions of people do, the reason sports is about to change because of the new regulations, and the reason why so many people end up hopelessly addicted to it, losing fortunes on games, obsessing about point spreads. The reason why is because sports is unpredictable. And as such, there is a real legitimate thrill, a rush in risking something on chance rather than on guarantee. If you knew who was going to win without a doubt, if you were Biff Tannen with the Sports Almanac, you would bet money to win money, and you'd feel great about that side of it, but what would the fun be other than collecting your money? If a game is too easy, and let's just do this for the sake of argument, think of playing NBA 2K, think of playing Madden, think of playing NCAA football, whatever it might be. Do you just keep on crushing rookie, or do you ramp that level up to all-star? It's the thrill. The thrill comes from climbing some level of difficulty, right? The essence of what I do for a living, what I'm privileged and blessed enough to do for a living behind this microphone and in watching these games is in attempting to make heads or tails out of uncertain outcomes. We don't know how it's going to end. So I'm going to try and tell you based on what I have seen, what I expect to see. And then if, especially if something goes against what I expected to see, then I can really start to look back and give content behind this microphone, and if it goes my way, then I can sit here and puff my chest. That's why you listen. It's the uncertainty of it all. You listen. You read the blogs you do. You watch these games at all because of the uncertainty. If it was certain, who would care? It's why when there's a, when there's a sporting event I can't watch live, I go on social media blackout, and I avoid going on the Internet. I avoid going to ESPN.com or SI.com or Deadspin, or Awful Announcing, or anywhere I might see the result of that game. Because I know, even if that's a classic game that goes to five overtimes, if you tell me that it finishes 140 to 139 in favor of Team A over Team B, I cannot sit there and watch that entire game. I can find a couple of highlights, but I'm not going to watch the game. And I still like the experience. That's why it works. There is a beauty, ladies and gentlemen, in not knowing. When you turn out to have guessed right, there is definitely a sense of euphoria to that. And when you guess wrong, that just spurs you on to do it again and figure out what bit you in the rear along the way. So back to the NBA Finals. What is going to happen in the rest of this series? Game three is Wednesday night in Golden State. It's a 1-1 series. That favors the Warriors because they already got one on the road. Golden State has the far better, far more experienced coach. Golden State has more top-end talent, and that's assuming Clay can go with Kevin Durant already out. Clay says he's confident about it. We'll have to wait and see. The fact that the game is on Wednesday portends better for Golden State than it would otherwise. And then again, there's Kyle Lowry, there's Pascal Siakam, there's Fred Van Vliet, etc. How much do you trust them in California, not in Canada, to beat the two-time defending champions? One thing that we certainly may have underestimated here is the depth of defense for Nick Nurse's club. These guys can defend the perimeter better than we expected. Kawhi is still out here playing a ton of minutes. You have to expect that's going to continue to catch up to him. He was wearing down at times in the last season. Then he seemed to catch a second or maybe even a third or a fourth win and get them home. But the bench also showed up for him. 
But if you want to break this down based on what I've said this entire segment is, what is most likely? Most likely, Steph Curry has a good shooting night. Most likely, Draymond plays another triple-double level game, as he's done most of the postseason. Most likely, Andre Iguodala steps up if somebody has to, as I have said several times on this show and others. He's the most underrated player of the decade in the NBA. Defensively in particular, but he makes clutch shots. He is sort of the new Robert Ori, but a much better defender than Ori was. And it's most likely that DeMarcus Cousins still manages to contribute again. I picked a Golden State in six. When they lost on Thursday, that prediction did not change. And that wasn't because I'm too stubborn to change, but because of so much that I saw transpire that night felt like a blip, not a trend. If Siakam shows up big, maybe it's 2-1 Raptors as I'm behind this microphone on Thursday. But that's not where the percentages are, right? He went 14-17. How likely is it he's going to duplicate that? And if he does, how likely is it he's going to duplicate that three more times? Toronto's got a shot. There's no question about that. And if Durant does come back, there is going to be a marked difference in how the Warriors have to play. And it might take a little bit of time for them to readjust, and KD might be out there with a little bit of rust, but he can get his own shot. And he's the only guy other than Steph Curry that can for the Warriors. Last night, that is what Golden State needed when they went almost five minutes without being able to get a bucket. They were, it was tumbleweed blowing across the court in Toronto towards the end. But with all that said, they still won the basketball game. If Toronto was up 2 0 right now, it would still only be an on-serve, to borrow a tennis analogy, it would be an on-serve series, but the Raptors would have to feel awfully good. They beat the Warriors in game one, yes. A split, but they still have to look at that and say, we should be up 2-0. We could have won that game. We let a golden opportunity, no pun intended, slip through our fingers. And now you look at it and you say, well, Golden State has the advantage again, even though really they always have. Because they're a better team in a seven-game series than anyone in the NBA. That's not true just this year. It was true this year, last year, the year before that, the year before that, and the year before that. This is their, what, fifth straight finals appearances, and they cashed in four times. They'd have cashed in five had Iquodala not gotten hurt and Draymond Green not gotten suspended in the NBA finals. LeBron never would have brought a title to Cleveland, and the narrative about LeBron James would have been summarily different. And he may not have even been able to leave Cleveland because he did not bring that city their championship that had eluded them for such a long period of time. So much hinged on a couple of things. And now you're looking at Iguodala doesn't feel great right now. Clay Thompson's hobbling around. We'll see. They've got an MRI scheduled. Durant, we'll see. There's a possibility he comes back in game four. But winning in game two makes it less important. But it was interesting because they did say he would be back around the middle of the series which I heard Bomani Jones accurately say, that's funny because that's sort of arrogant because that's assuming the middle of the series is game four only if the series is going all the way. So you're assuming it's going to go all the way without him. You're automatically assuming they're not going to be able to beat you in five or four or something to that extent. That's food for thought. But blipper trend, see things in terms of what makes sense to continue happening and what doesn't. And if what just happened occurred as a result of a blip, Go the other way. And then remember that sports is great because we can be wrong. If we were right all the time, there would be no point.
coming up next. Audio that will make you smarter and will be the most intelligent thing you hear all week. This is a big six. Welcome back to the Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. Little Big Egos from Dre off Chronic 2001. It's interesting. When I picked this and said, hey, Ryan, let's play this tonight, I didn't even think about how appropriate it would be for this segment, but it is. You'll understand here in a second. My name is Jason Martin. I'm on Twitter at jmartzone, 615-737-1045. want to give extreme thanks to Jonathan Schaefer, the incredibly talented producer of the Wake Up Zone. Who I was, uh, who I had a blast hosting with a couple of days last week on that program, and to Austin Huff out in St. Louis uh, for sitting in for me while I was in California. Austin will be in on Friday for me as well as I'll be in with uh, Mickey Ryan on Three HL. And I also want to thank if you were up and heard the Jason Martin Show on Fox Sports Radio Sunday morning, you heard Chris Plank out of Oklahoma in for me. I want to thank Chris Plank as well. All of them did a fantastic job. All the response that I got that people were sending me was incredibly positive. Schaefer and Huff were the first two guys that have ever actually sat in my seat for the Big Six, which is not because my seat is hard to fill. It's just because I've, I guess I've been here when I've needed to be here. But I really appreciate those guys stepping in and helping me out. And uh, you will certainly hear from them, I'm sure, in the future in this chair as well. So I've been outspoken about this many times on this show. And actually, let me be outspoken about one other thing first. We're brought to you by Renters Warehouse. Dedicated to making renting your home easy, fast, and worry-free. Renters Warehouse, you can't buy happiness, but you can rent it. 615-737-1045 is how you join this program. And you may want to talk after you hear this topic. I'm not sure. It's interesting because people are going to always have a take on what content I cover on this show, what content anybody covers. They can look at it and say, oh, you shouldn't be spending time on this. You should be talking about X story and Y story in sports. You should be talking about the Kansas City Royals or the the Toronto Maple Leafs or whatever it might be, depending on the season and all those kinds of things. I only know how to do this one way, my way. And so if I see something I think is going to be interesting, even if it doesn't necessarily have a direct sports tie and I can find a sports tie, I'm going to use it. But sometimes I just want to talk about stuff. And I haven't been behind the microphone now in about five days. And so I had a chance to listen to a few podcasts when I was on the uh, West Coast and, and things of that nature. So this really stood out. And I think it will be the smartest stuff that you hear all week. Not my part of it, but the audio in particular. So I've been outspoken about this many, many times on this show. It's not going to stop because it seems increasingly essential to remind everybody out there that technology at least in terms of social media and 24-7 access to your hearts and minds, is not mandatory. Now, I want you to listen to a piece of audio. This is a response to a question about why the individual here does not utilize Twitter for much of anything, why he follows no one, and why he simply has someone else occasionally release whatever content might need to be out there for his brand. It's actually from a pro wrestling podcast that goes into detail about other topics that aren't relevant here, but it's hugely relevant. This portion of it is hugely relevant in 2019. He doesn't understand the real benefit of Twitter, and he's not wrong. Now, there are positives associated with social media, but there's a lot of negatives. This is John Moxley, who WWE fans may remember from his past moniker, 
He was a character by the name of Dean Ambrose. He spoke to Wade Keller, the editor-in-chief of the Pro Wrestling Torch, in a about two-and-a-half-hour tell-all interview about leaving that company, leaving millions of dollars on the table, and taking a gamble on himself to just find contentment and happiness in his life rather than a paycheck that wasn't going to amount to much in the end. It was a fascinating conversation for pro wrestling fans. It's definitely one of those. I have a, J- I have a Jason's DVR segment or J Mart's DVR segment on Fox Sports Radio where I say, hey, here's what I'm watching. Here's what I'm listening, listening to, all that kind of stuff. You should check this out. And so gangster capitalism was what I went to last week, which was kind of a true crime podcast about the scandal involving Felicity Huffman and Lori Laughlin and the bribery. And it's fascinating, and you should check that out as well. But this, if you're a pro wrestling fan, you should check out. But this is John Moxley. His thoughts on social media, I believe, will be the smartest thing that you will hear all week. Take a listen to this. I mean, it's not like it's bad. I'm not right. saying like, I mean, I'm not judging anybody. Who, I mean, everybody seems to love it. Some people seem to love it, but the thing is, everybody does it. The thing is, it's like, I feel like all anybody does is talk about how much they hate it. I feel like every day somebody's just like, oh, God, I hate social media. Every time I open my phone, I see all this crap. <laughs> and I'm like, well, why are you using it? Exactly. Just stop using it. Yep. Just don't read it. You know, because all that, you know, what? I've never, like, I look at it like, if I give you my phone number, say, like, I meet you, we become friends. I say, hey, give me a call. I give you my phone number. That's like a sacred thing. Because I've given you the power to now text me anything you want to say hit send and it shows up on my phone and I'm going to read it no matter what it is. That's a very sacred trust that I gave you when I gave you my phone number. But when you have Twitter, you're essentially giving your phone number to the entire world because now whatever they want to type on our computer, like some idiot sitting in his basement is going to pop up on your phone and you're going to read it. So it's like giving the whole world your phone number and the whole world sending you text messages all at once. I've I've never, I can't imagine the day that I wake up and I'd be like, you know whose opinion I want to hear today? Everybody in the <laughs> world. <laughs> That's John Moxley. And he's so right. If you really stop and think about it, you are giving your phone number to everyone to send you text messages. I can tell you without question, and I will extend this to the next segment. If you have thoughts on social media, positive or negative, please do chime in. You can tweet me at jmartzone, ironically, or you can call 615-737-1045. But you wouldn't give your phone number to the entire world. This is what, I think it was Jeff Van Gundy that said this, and I've mentioned this before on the show. He said it a couple rounds ago in the NBA playoffs. He said that someone smart had once told him, why in the world would you take criticism from someone you would not take advice from? And if you really stop and let that sink in, it explains away a lot of the social media stuff you hate. How many things that are said back to you about something that you say on Twitter should matter to you, even though a lot of them end up mattering to you? You give the people in your life that you care about most, your family, your friends, people that are important for your job, they have access to you. And they have a lot of access to you now because the devices are with us at all times. But you don't give random people your phone number, to have access to you. There's a level of privacy, but there's also a level of, it sounds callous, but I don't care what you think, and I also am not arrogant enough to think that you should care what I think. And Twitter makes makes us feel like everyone should care about what we think. 
but in the process, it builds a monster. And so what he said's right, and he doesn't follow anybody, and he's very, very well known, and he barely ever tweets. And when he does, it's usually somebody else on his behalf just putting out some video or something that's relevant for his fans. But he doesn't spend his life enveloped in this digital world that's not realistic. I think it was from The Economist last week that statistics came out that showed that social media's impact is actually dropping across the board and that Twitter has dropped even more, that I think now only 22% of the United States population at large even goes to Twitter at all, meaning not even necessarily tweets, but that they even go there, period, on a monthly basis. And every one of these services is dropping as well. I hope that that is a sign of things to come. So I wanted you to hear that audio just as kind of a primer. When we come back, I'm going to go into this a little further. And we can certainly talk about the athletes that get enveloped in it and even me and you and all these people. But I will end this segment by saying this. If you are not well-known and you don't need it for your brand, why would you have a Twitter account personally? What is the benefit of it? If I have children, if I'm blessed enough to have children, which hopefully is going to be something that will happen over the next few years, it's something I would try my best to keep them away from. And it's not because it's all bad. It's just because it's all unnecessary. That's the thing. Is it necessary? Should it feel mandatory? Of course not. We'll be right back. Big city. Welcome back to the Big Six here on 104.5 Zone. Little Kurt Vile, check baby for you. Off of Bottle It In, his new record that came out last fall. I'm Jason Martin. I'm on Twitter at jmartzone, which is ironic considering this segment. 615-737-1045. I'm going to play that audio for you again here in just one second. Jordan Sims tweeted me during the break, said J.J. Watt did raise millions for hurricane relief through social media. Absolutely right. Like I said, there are many positives that can come from social media. There are. There are reasons why it exists or should exist. This is not a 100% it's evil thing, even though I, I am certainly someone that looks forward to a time in my life where I don't need it. And technically, I don't need it. But right now in this job, it sort of behooves me to use it to my advantage. But it can certainly become a problem. So I have many thoughts on this. But again, John Moxley was on with Wade Keller in the Pro Wrestling Torch podcast last week talking about his decision to leave a potential $2.5 million a year, four-year contract on the table and walk away for a very less sure thing because he simply wasn't happy. He met his wife there, and he said if that's all he got from that place, then he already won because he met the love of his life. He met his best friend. I can relate without question. But listen to John Moxley again. I think this is the smartest piece of audio you will hear all week long as he describes just the nuisance that Twitter is and, and why it does not make all that much sense. I mean, it's not like it's bad. I'm not right. saying like, I mean, I'm not judging anybody. Who, I mean, everybody seems to love it. Some people seem to love it, but the thing is, everybody does it. The thing is, it's like, I feel like all anybody does is talk about how much they hate it. I feel like every day somebody's just like, oh, God, I hate social media. Every time I open my phone, I see all this crap. And I'm like, well, why are you using it? Exactly. 
just stop using it. Yep. Just don't read it. You know, because all that, you know, what I've never, like, I look at it like, if I give you my phone number, say, like, I meet you, we become friends. I say, hey, give me a call. I give you my phone number. That's like a sacred thing. Because I've given you the power to now text me anything you want to say, hit send, and it shows up on my phone, and I'm going to read it, no matter what it is. That's a very sacred trust that I gave you when I gave you my phone number. But when you have Twitter, you're essentially giving your phone number to the entire world. Because now whatever they want to type on our computer, like some idiot sitting in his basement, is going to pop up on your phone, and you're going to read it. So it's like giving the whole world your phone number. And the whole world sending you text messages all at once. I've, I've never, I can't imagine the day that I wake up and I'd be like, you know whose opinion I want to hear today? <laughs> Everybody in the <laughs> world. And that's not how it used to be. We didn't know what a whole lot of other people thought because it was irrelevant. Who do you care in terms of their opinion? And I use this quote and somebody asked me during the break to repeat this quote. Why would you take criticism from someone you would never take advice from? Think about that for just a second. Why do you care what they have to say negatively about you if you wouldn't care what they have to say, period? And so I ask you, if, you're, if you are not well-known, why would you have a Twitter account personally? And if you're really well-known, who cares? Do you even need it? Now, the argument that I was tweeted was that J.J. Watt raised millions. And yeah, you can use it to do really good things. And that is a worthy point to make. And I'm glad that it was made. But if you're not well-known at all, who cares? Ultimately, is it going to matter? Is your legacy somehow dependent upon somebody you're never going to know reacting positively or negatively to your every musing? Or why would your every musing need to be out there in the first place? So I tweeted out while I was in California on Friday night, my girlfriend and I went to In-N-Out, which we had heard about forever. Oh, In-N-Out Burger is going to change your life. So we were all excited. They sell T-shirts there. We're like, oh, we're going to get shirts. We're going to get what's famous there, and we're going to sit down and enjoy it. And so I said, hey, we're doing the In-N-Out thing. We're out in Cali. We have to. And somebody immediately said, only people that aren't from California say Cali and came after me. I'm like, I don't care, dude. I don't know why you felt the need to say that to me. And so I put out the next day, so Chick-fil-A is better than In-N-Out by a 1,000. And people went insane. They were saying, well, you can't compare chicken and burgers and da-da-da-da-da, and what a burger's better. And I'm sure Mickey Ryan probably tweeted me at some point in that mix, and he was probably right. Basically, all I said was that In-N-Out was average. It, was just, it wasn't anything that stood out. And even the, the Uber driver that took us there said, it's part of the L.A. experience, but it's just a restaurant. It's nothing particularly fancy. I thought Five Guys was better. I could name any number of things. So somebody tweets me and says, I I don't have it in front of me, but I remember reading it yesterday on the airplane. It said, don't be one of those guys that has a take just to stir up controversy. The assumption was that I was making that up just to draw attention to myself. The problem with that assumption is that is the default assumption of social media. It's also the default assumption of my profession because of the rise of hot takes because of Fox Sports Radio and and the guys that everybody hot takes. And it makes a ton of money. Stephen A. Smith makes a ton of money. Skip Bayless makes a ton of money. People care about what they have to say, positively and negatively. That's what we have become. ESPN Radio, whatever it is, media has become about that. 
What else is Fox News? What else is MSNBC? And a lot of the assumption is that people don't even believe what they're saying. They're just trying to make themselves famous or cause some level of controversy. I don't do that. But when I read that, I immediately was just like, of course he would think that. I'm on Twitter. What else happens on Twitter but this kind of stuff? So I thought about what Moxley was saying in the audio that I've played a couple of times for you. I can kind of understand Facebook. Here's how I look at social media simply. Facebook is friends and family and is keeping in touch with people that you know. It replaces postcards with photos and messages. It replaces birthday cards with digitized versions. It lets people you know and care about in your life in on some of what's happening to you. It can be misused, certainly. We know those stories, politics and all of those things. And it can also become a repository, I think, of self-congratulatory garbage and self-absorption and extreme pride. But it can also be used to just celebrate something good or let people that you already know and care about in on something difficult and just being a community of friends and loved ones. So Facebook is a replacement for other communication in some ways. Twitter is listen to what I have to say because I'm important and I can't just stay quiet. And I want to show off how smart I am, how well-read I am, how funny I am, how cynical I am, or how arrogant I can be and not know it. Instagram is look at me. Please look at me. I love myself or I want you to believe I do. Snapchat, I don't get that one at all. I'm Bill Belichick. It's Snapface to me. I'm not sitting here pointing a finger at anybody right now. When I tweet, very often I look back and I ask this question to myself and I don't love the answer. The question is, did what I just said need to be said or did I need others to see me say it? Back to what Moxley said and taking it a little further, I heard somebody talking about technology, the handheld variety recently, the dangers that are involved and how life has changed as a result, both good and bad. But of everything that I heard during that talk, this is what stuck out the most. He said we were not created to have 24-7, 365 day access to everyone, to everything. And more importantly, for them to, for everyone and everything to have access to our hearts or to our minds. If we can shut off the phone and not feel obligated to do anything other than live in the real world, things can simplify and we can discover what actually matters in our life. My profession encourages and it nearly demands a lot of times that I live in a complicated technological world. But I would tell you this, if you can get by without it, you should try it for as long as you can and just take some inventory. Just sense and notice the results in the relationship with your family, amongst your friends. You'll notice you're not envious of them nearly as much anymore because you're not seeing all their status updates. And just with your life and how you perceive what's actually happening, as opposed to being inundated with the extremes the second your eyes open in the morning or the second before they close at night. And that does not mean I'm saying stop paying attention to news and close your brain to what's happening in the world. It just means that you can stop the constant access that can be an attack or it can be a false sense of security for you that's not real. And you can do it simply by shutting off the source once in a while. That power button, that thing exists for a reason. But if you notice, as these devices get more complex, it's harder to figure out how to really turn off a phone than it used to be. Because there's money involved in keeping the phone on. But you should be able to actually look at someone at the dinner table and have a conversation with them. 
and get to know people in your real life that are actually important to you. In the past, all you had to do was hang up the phone. Find out how yours can be hung up. Find out how you can really power it down and just do it. Just try it. We'll be right back with the final segment. 615-737-1045 is the telephone number. This is the Big Six. Final segment tonight. Big Six on 104.5 The Zone. Fast Talk up next. We're brought to you by Renters Warehouse. Dedicated to putting homeowners on the path to financial freedom through rent estate, renting your home without having to do the hard stuff. Renters Warehouse, the rent estate company. I'm Jason Martin on Twitter at jmartzone. If you missed part of tonight's show, seems a lot of people enjoyed what we've been talking about over the past couple of segments about social media. And I let you hear to uh, well, I'll let you hear twice. The it was a little bit over a minute of John Moxley, who used to be known as Dean Ambrose within WWE, describing why Twitter doesn't make sense for him and living in a world outside of social media. And I think there's a lot to be said there. If you missed that conversation or what I had to say about it, subscribe to the Big Six with Jason Martin podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. And you can listen to the full archive of our shows, including Austin Huff in for me and Jonathan Schaefer in for me last week. And again, thanks to both of those gentlemen for filling this seat, not just admirably, but to the highest degree possible. A little bit of news. Marlins with the fourth overall pick in the MLB draft just a couple of minutes ago, selected J.J. Blade from Vanderbilt. So congratulations to him. That's a guy who went, who really just continued to rise. And going in the top five, that's outstanding. So Vandy boys continuing to do some work. Let's take a phone call. Dale in Nashville, up first here tonight on the Big Six. Dale, what's up? Hey, man, um, on this social media stuff, I've never been on any of them uh any of these platforms at all, and you were talking about your work and it being kind of a necessity, and I've always hoped that I don't ever work anywhere where they push me to be on one. To me, it looks like they are breaking down things that are really important in our society. Um, if, if I sit and have a conversation with you face-to-face, there's nuance, there's sincerity, mm-hmm. um, and there's a... a, a positive uh, attitude and a level of compassion that doesn't exist when you're on what I call these things stages. And I think they, they appeal to the greatest um, levels of uh, self-centeredness and narcissism that, that may exist within us. And um, they're not, the level of truth, isn't really there either. I believe there are studies out there that, that people in, in packs, pack mentalities, uh, change people and they act different. If you're on a stage, you're going to act different. Then again, if I'm sitting with you face to face, Facebook, I think a lot of people, instead of going and visiting someone that's a, a close family member that lives within, say, 20 miles, they, Facebook has become a substitute just to send out a message uh, like a, a, a a tag everybody message or whatever they're called to everybody instead of actually going and visiting that person one-on-one. Um, in general, that's about it. I think we're losing some sincerity and intimacy and positiveness um, that these platforms are just like a black hole for. No, that's fine. Dale, I appreciate it. I agree with a lot of what you said. I talk about nuance quite a bit and social media is the absence of nuance. There's one thing I could try to describe it after just the nuts and bolts of it. It's the absence of nuance. 
It's extremes on every side. It is the far right and the far left. It is everything is great and everything is terrible. Most of us live somewhere in the middle, and that's not what social media trades in. It usually makes its salt on the worst in all of us. And I think the reason why it works is what you just said. Because you talk about it, and I mentioned self-absorption and things of that nature. Well, why do you go on Twitter? Do you go on Twitter to be informed? Some people might. But why do you tweet? Generally, you tweet because you, because the idea of tweeting, if you want to call it a stage like Dale just did, you're on a stage and you're hoping it's a sellout. But there's probably more like 10 people in there. And only like two people are ever going to care what, what you actually do in that performance. But your ego, Twitter plays to your ego. It plays to your pride. Anything that feeds your ego because of how insecure we all are, that is like crack cocaine. And that's what it is. You tweet much more often because you want people to see what you have to say than because what you say actually needs to be said and that I am at the top of that list and so sometimes I go on long droughts where I don't say anything and if you see me say a bunch of things at one time during a certain sporting event sometimes it's yeah because because I work in sports my opinion needs to be out there at least to some degree during national events and things like that and you'll see that you know Fox Sports or somebody will retweet me because I work for them and so it makes sense there. But if you see me just throw a barrage of things out there real quickly, it's probably because my pride's got the better of me and I want to be heard that night. I'll just be dead honest and vulnerable with you on that. And so I think that we all could stand to think about the idea that Twitter is basically like giving everyone in the world your phone number. And that should be a sacred trust and it's been lost. Let's make you smarter on the way out the door. High school shortstop Bobby Witt Jr. taken by the Royals with the second pick a little while ago. His father, Bobby Sr., 16-year MLB career with seven teams. Third overall pick in 1985 per ESPN Stats and Info. But here's why it's interesting. They're the first father-son duo ever, Bobby Witt Jr. and Sr., ever to be top five picks in the MLB draft. Congratulations to them. That's incredible. See you tomorrow. Fast Talk next. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose.